0: The first bet on Caesar's Sportsbook app is up to $5,000 risk-free, people. When I told my team about the idea, they said I was being too wonderful and magnificent. But I don't care how awesome this makes me. I'm doing this for the people. So just download the app, and that first bet is up to $5,000 risk-free. Caesar made an app for the people, people.
1: Must be 21. Offer valid in Virginia only and for new players. Paid in bet credits. Terms and conditions apply. See Caesars.com slash promos. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat. 1-888-532-3500.
2: You know, um, right? Episode twenty-eight, right here on the Double G Sports Radio Network. Nick Durst joined, of course, by Joe Calabrese. And Joe, the weather has just been crazy in in the in the tri-state uh, with with the tropical storm and a lot of power outages and you know a lot of games are affected. I know the Yankees; they just did a a rain a, lot, a rain cancellation before even the day started, and. They're going to be playing for the first time a double hutter of uh, seven innings. How do you
1: feel about that that rule for this season? I mean, we we were talking about this on previous podcasts about all the rule changes and stuff. And to be perfectly honest, the seven inning is a little odd to me. I understand the circumstances, though, because you have to understand that these teams are not playing while they're in quarantine or while they're – waiting those those positive test results to come back. So if we're delaying when they're playing, what are we gonna do? We're gonna have them forfeit games. The Players Association probably wouldn't go for that. So I mean, yes, it's very softbally, right? With the whole seven anything. And it is what it is. Again, this this entire two month stretch is going to be the most off the oddest baseball the wackiest rules we've ever seen. And, and that's just because of the circumstances. Going yeah. And, on you know, speaking
2: of wacky, the wackiest thing happened over the weekend, which was you at goes missing. And he's, he's at, he's at the hotel. I don't know how they don't see him leaving. And then apparently he's at the mall the next day. He opts out of the seasons, Joe, it's, it's summertime. The sun's out. It's shining bright. And you gotta go to shop. com. Check out the sunglasses they have there. And of course, Before you know it, it's going to be daylight savings, which is terrible. It'll get dark, so you got to make sure you have your watches and you can change the clocks. And, of course, they have watches there as well. So go on over to shopvalerio.com and use the promo code, all caps, nick.d,
1: 25 at checkout for 25% off your order. And we want to thank our other sponsor for today, ganache.com. They are one of the best quality mobile accessory companies I've used along with low convenient prices. My must is that they're tempered glass protector. I drop my phone all the time. Usually I drop it face down consistently and their glass protectors are must have and luckily have saved me throughout all types of tough drops. I highly recommend to check them out. There's lots of digest here. So we need to bring in a baseball
2: expert and he is, Dan Federico, of course. Dan verified on Twitter, rightfully so. Writes about the Yankees for Bronx to Bushville. Does communi- athletics communications for CMSV Athletics. Used to write for a number of websites, including Bleacher Report. And uh, we are happy to bring him on the show, reuniting here myself with Dan, who I've been on his wrestling podcast a few times a while back. Dan, first and foremost. How are you doing? And secondly, when Twitter and all the verified accounts got taken over, how did that impact you?
3: <laughs> What's going on, Nick and Joe? I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, yeah, I was a little depressed during that uh, couple of hours span, but you know what? I made it through. I'm happy. I'm back to tweeting again, so everything's good.
2: All right, so let's, let's talk a little baseball here. So far, what do you think has been the wildest story to come out of this season?
3: I think we have to, you know, say with the Marlins, and I guess we could tie the the Cardinals in with that as well. Um, Just the fact that, you know, I know it's rumors at this point, but that they were out, you know, at clubs or whatever whatever was going on. The fact that they had a spread like that um, within a team is pretty scary, especially because, you know, how that could affect the rest of baseball. We've seen so many uh, schedule changes and cancellations. And, you know, the Yankees played the Phillies last night and the Phillies haven't played in a week. Then they had to step in and play Garrett Cole. So, I mean, it, it's, been, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, I, I think that's the biggest story. But just in general that they're playing right now in a non-bubble situation. And, you know, besides those two situations between the Cardinals and Marlins, everything has been, I guess, as well as, as it could be going. So, uh, but, but between the Marlins and Cardinals, those are definitely the two biggest stories so far.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that was crazy. And who knows? I mean, we, we could see even more outbreaks and I do really think, you know, going into the season, it was hanging on a thread. And I think now it's even more on a thread the threads getting super, super uh, thin. And, you know, Joe, you think that
1: the season's going to finish? Yeah. I mean, we are, they're doing their absolute best possible again, We don't know how many teams are going to have a player contract the virus and need to be in quarantine for these these two months, right? That's totally unknown. With the Marlins, we saw the worst-case scenario, right, where it affected enough of that clubhouse where they were truly in danger of not being able to put together a team to eventually put on the field again, right? So that's kind of the extreme. But we're we're on the downturn of what happened with them, the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals well, the I mean, say it's, that they it's were. You know, we don't know for sure. But the Phillies that ended up working out in the end because those results were a false positive, and and yes, they had to miss games. But again, that's the the best case scenario. They didn't have to to, to do any of that. I think they'll be able to get through it because again so long as they can manage a situation where maybe one or two teams are affected at any given time, I think everybody else should be good to play. In that scenario, you would have what we had over the past weekend, where six teams didn't end up playing because they, their games were postponed, right? But I think we reached, that was the threshold, the, the, the absolute worst case scenario for right now. I do think that they'll get through the season. I'm very optimistic.
2: Dan, how do you feel about the, the seven-inning double header rule being implemented now? And how do you feel about the fact that if you go to an eighth inning, it's automatically already starting with the runner on second base? I think that's a little too much there for me as a, as a baseball fan of my life. I don't like the 10th inning runner on second as is. And now having it in the eighth inning in a, in a double-hutter that's only seven innings, that's just too much for me.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I obviously understand the, uh, the situation where they want to, you know, keep the games as short as possible and doing this. Um, I, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I, I'm not as upset about it in an extra inning game, but I feel like at least for the seven-inning doubleheaders, at least let them get to nine. And then if you want to do it in the 10th inning, put the runner on on second if need be, then do it. But, um, you know, I, I'm hoping it's something that's just this year because of the circumstances. But with the new CBA and all this stuff coming up, uh, it definitely could be a talking point going forward, and this could be something implemented, which that would be definitely something I don't want to see. But if we're talking one year,
2: I'll deal with it after this year, but definitely not fame. So it looks like the DH is here to stay. So, Dan, what is what is Cespedes doing? I mean, he needed this year. He needed to have a good year in order to probably get a good contract. And he's opting out of the season. If he's really opting out for COVID-19 concerns, that's fine. But it seems like it was more so an issue with the Mets and him, with his at-bats and whatnot and not playing the field. And this is a guy who he would have really benefited from the DH in the NL moving forward. And he's kind of just like, all right, I'll just, you know, not play this year. What do you think the market would be like for him next year? I don't see him getting anything more than a minor league deal. I mean, you look at Yasiel Puig, he, couldn't even, he can't even get a deal this year. He had the deal with the Braves, but uh, they voided that for coronavirus. So I think the market's going to be really tough for uh, Cespedes when he's coming off. His injuries, and he's only he only played six games.
3: Yeah. So first and foremost, with the Mets and Cespedes in general, I was actually really high on their offense. Uh, we know Jacob Degrom's the best pitcher in baseball, I would say. So you know, you, you know, you have that there pitching staff is deep, even without Noah Syndergaard. But I really thought Yoan Cespedes would benefit from being the primary DH. I mean, we know we have, the Mets have a couple people who they can rotate in that spot. Um, but I really thought, uh, like I said, Yoannis would benefit from that. The situation is just uh, – how it went down was so messed, and I hate to say that because when the Mets traded for Cespedes and then signed him, I mean, everybody felt that magic that he brought to the team. There's no doubt about that. So I was excited to see if he was going to be able to at least bring some of that back in the short season where anything could happen, and there's, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of surprises once we get close to the postseason. So I was anticipating something fun out of Queens, but it always ends up being something with him. I mean, Cespedes, every stop he's had, there's been issues on the field, off the field. Um, Like you said, Yasiel Puig's a good comp. Uh, I could, I I mean, I can't, I don't see him getting anything more than a minor league deal. If he even gets that, because, you know, he's had those injury issues. Again, the personal stuff off the field has also gone against his favor. So if he gets a minor league deal, he'll be lucky. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone takes a flyer on him. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if he's also in a situation where he doesn't have any team that wants to sign him next offseason.
2: Yeah, I think it's just going gonna, gonna to be tough. And, you know, Joe, me and you have discussed this before, but Cespedes is a top three trade deadline acquisition of all time with CC Sabathia and Carlos Beltran. Because what he did in 2015 was so ridiculous. He got him to the playoffs. Murphy got him to the World Series. They should have won the World Series. Unfortunately, they didn't. But, you know, how, how are you going to look back on Cespedes' tenure with the Mets?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. We know CC was MVP caliber when the Brewers got him in 2008. Uh, and Cespedes was really the catalyst along with Daniel Murphy on that Mets team that rode to the World Series in 2015. So it's funny you mentioned the trade deadline. That's a good segue for the point that I wanted to make. Uh, so we have to, we have to stay in this real world right now with Cespedes, right? He's only played 127 games, I think, in the last, what, four seasons since 2017. That's not really a lot. That's less than one full season over the course of the last four years, right? So there are a lot of questions about his durability, right? But we saw that glimpse, right, in the first few games with his bat, that power. He absolutely still has the power, right? So we have to look at this in a practical way. To me personally, I don't think a big market team or team with money is going to want to deal with everything that comes with him. But I do think that some of the smaller market teams, the Royals, the Pirates, the Rays, so on and so forth, right? A couple of other teams you could throw in there. I think because of the way they operate their teams, it's going to be a situation where Cespedes has to say in his mind, okay, I'm not going to get a big offer, right? I'm going to have to take whatever I can get. I think a small team is going to try to scoop him up. And if they succeed next year and if they're good, so be it. They'll ride out the season with Cespedes. It's probably only going to be a one-year deal. But if they're not in a line, right, and this is obviously pending we have a season next year, Uh, I think he would be another possible guy who's going to get moved at the trade deadline because that seems what he is at this point. He seems like he's the guy who moves to the contender – to try to put the contender over the top right so that's what i think is going to happen i think there's too much extra baggage now over the past couple of years for any team to deal with that but i could be wrong but on this podcast you know i'm right me and nick are usually right so we'll see how that plays out
2: dan any any uh Obviously, we're really close to the trade deadline already. So, any any word on anybody is interested in in Robinson Cano? Maybe the Mets can get rid of him because he's actually off to a good ten game start here, and we know he's his contract's horrendous. But I don't think there's anybody interested in his contract. But overall, there are any teams right now that are really you're hearing are looking to sell? And who do you expect to see potentially get moved here? I know going into this preview of the season, everyone was saying oh Francisco Lindor might get traded but that's not going to happen because the Indians especially with the expanded postseason are likely to make the playoffs so do you think there's going to be a lot of a lot of trades this month at all or is everyone going to really basically stand pat and play out the last month of the season
3: well it's funny you mentioned you know the the Lindor situation because I think that's going to be throughout baseball where a lot of teams are just going to feel like they can compete and rightfully so because the expanded playoffs so I do think a lot of teams are going to stand pat. I can't see any major moves, especially when you factor in, you know, these teams are these players. I should.
0: Don't mind me just sneaking out to go to Kohl's the home deals right now. They're too good to pass up like up to 40% off cuddle. That's bedding, up to 50% off the cutest fall decor and up to 25% off Ninja kitchen appliances. How can I resist? You can even get 15% off or 15, 20, or 30% off with a Kohl's card. So yeah. I'm going all in for fall and I can't even wait. Select styles offers end October 17th. Some exclusions apply. See historicals. Look out for details. would
3: say are going through these certain quarantine protocols where I know that all the teams are going through it, but you're expecting someone to get traded from the Mets to the angels. Then you got to move cross country. I'm I'm sure there may be some sort of like not an unwritten rule, but I, I just can't see some of these big players, you know, moving across the country or, Doing a move like that where they have to like you know do, do certain things where I have to you know get a new apartment and do these different things in different cities. So I feel like personally it's going to be quiet. I uh, Haven't heard anything in terms of rumors as of yet. Um, one interesting I did hear that I don't know if it was public knowledge, but I was talking with somebody in baseball yesterday actually, and it was just that you know th- there's a lot of the talk of you can only trade for the people in the 60 man player pool, which is true, but you could always do trades for really anybody you want and just list them as a player to be named later. So that's something that I think I'm going to keep an eye on when it comes to these trades where you see a lot of players to be named later or things of that nature. So that's something that I'm interested in, but in terms of trades, I don't know, just gut feeling is, I don't think there's going to be much happening on that front.
1: So you just mentioned stuff that might inhibit what usually is a lot of activity. It probably won't be as much activity, right? So a lot of things are going on in the world. Uh, We're still under really, really extreme circumstances. So I kind of want to I wanna ask you a personal question, right? So you've written uh former places where Bleacher Report, Elite Sports, right? Uh you've written about the Yankees before. Everybody who we try to get on here likes works in media. That's what we do, right? So a lot of people who work in media have been drastically affected by everything that's going on. So a bit of more of a personal question for you. Just tell the audience. How have you been personally affected? What have you been doing the last couple of months? How have you been handling your your job situation, et cetera, et cetera?
3: So as Nick mentioned in the beginning, um, I did take a backseat to journalism because I moved to athletic communications at the College of Mount St. Vincent, where I'm basically, you know, I I do everything with the uh, athletic department. I'm the stats guy, PA announcing, uh, public relations. It's a full-time job. I'm there all the time. And, you know, fortunately, the college – saw the athletic department as an extension of the admissions department and in turn besides the fact that I do have a dual role there as well as public relations uh the promotional side and getting people involved with athletics on social media and through the website they saw as a critical position that needed to stay intact so I mean we stopped going to campus back in March and I was home ever since and fortunately I was employed the whole time so so that was great um everything worked out on that front and actually the week after fourth of july we were back on campus uh, we're at 50 percent capacity but i was one of the people that was asked to get back so i've been there ever since um you know staying busy um right now the school does have plans for sports in the fall i don't know how that's going to go because uh right now we have out of 12 conference teams there's four left that want to play including us so i don't know exactly how it's going to work but as a school they're really pushing forward that they want kids back they want kids in the classroom, they watch sports happening. So um, as a whole, I've been very fortunate during this time. Um, You know, I I know a lot of people who are in the same situation and I really felt their pain, but personally speaking um, no complaints here. And yeah, I just kind of, you know, made myself an office at home, Um, you know, stayed busy. Uh, I would go to campus. I I offered to do a bunch of uh, video tours um, and things like that to kind of get things moving online. So I was able to stay busy and, uh, and really, you know, just just not think as much about what was going on around the world because I was able to you know be immersed in my job. So I was really thankful for that.
2: Yeah, and hopefully a lot of these schools can play in the fall. Uh, you know, I do some broadcasting for the College of Staten Island. Their fall seasons are already been wiped out, so we'll be monitoring this. So it's interesting to see you know what really happens with the the big the big schools and conferences first, and then we'll certainly see a trickle down effect. Of course, you saw sort of like the Ivy League, they move into the spring, which I think. I could see a lot of schools still dealing with plan to go, but we do want those college sports back. We also want pro sports back. And one of the pro sports, we're probably going to get back. Joe, you smell that? Do you smell it? The Rock's cooking. The Rock, he bought the XFL. The XFL's coming back, Joe. How
1: excited are you? I'm very excited. I think Vince McMahon is probably excited too, because now everything that happened with the XFL, it's staying in-house, his guy. Do you think Vince Barack, The Rock, or Dwayne? They're probably on that personal basis, right, where he's calling him Dwayne. I think he calls him The
2: Rock because I, I don't think he called him Dwayne for, the, like, the, the first 20 years he knew him.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see. I'm actually – I really hope we find out at some point if Vince made the call and or had gotten in touch with him. Over right, because it was supposed to last, go up. It
2: supposed to go up for yeah. uh, an open auction, but a little before the Rock stepped in.
1: And yeah, I know. Uh, so the purchase price for the company was fifteen million dollars for everybody listening, and and he bought it. Believe it or not, his partner Danny Garcia is his ex-wife. Yep. she is now the first female in. I guess history, right? All time. This is the first to be a partner or owner of a major professional sports league in this country. So uh, applause there. That's pretty significant.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested to know who is going to, if anyone's going to return if the schemes are going to be the same. Cause it was, it was an exciting season. Dan, did you watch any of this XFL 2020 season?
3: Yeah, I, uh, I was watching it every single week. I was a big fan of the, the presentation style and just, you know, we all know nothing compared to the NFL. Same with the, the – I forget the name of it. What was it? AAF was it? I, I don't know. That, that other yeah. league that, that was going on. Yeah, I mean, we know it's not the same competition, but I saw it as something where I'm hanging out with my friends, drinking beer, watching TV, having it on in the background, you know, something cool. Have, you know, it was just something to put on. I, I truly enjoyed it in that regard. So, um, I, I think it's great that it's coming back. I love that The Rock is involved, that he's the owner – like you said, Joe, with his ex-wife and the first female owner, that's amazing as well. Um, two first-time ever minority owners of a sports league, which is also great. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm glad it's back. And uh, I'm just – I'm happy to see what's next for the league.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting to see what the NFL ends up stealing from the XFL because the first XFL in 2000 and. And one, one was where the NBC ended up getting the overhead cam from. They stole that from the XFL because obviously XFLs is on NBC. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future we're seeing the in the replay room camera, you know, the person explaining it. And I think, I think, Joe, they'll probably at some point take that kickoff rule to get a little more excitement back in the game. Yeah.
1: So during the brief run that this second iteration of the XFL had, one of the most popular things or tweaks that they had to the rule was the kickoff, and everybody was a big fan of that. And I believe going forward, it's going to be adopted for the NFL, not because the fans enjoy it more. I think the actual format of it is probably a lot safer than what we usually see in the NFL. Now, granted, the NFL has done a, their part to try to alter the kickoff, right? So we've had the kickoff move from 30 to 35 yard line over the course of the last couple years that's drastically uh changed the amount of kickoff returns we usually see we've seen a lot more touchbacks uh and then the plays that are coming out are few and far between less injuries but also with that less kickoff return touchdowns that's something that we always used to love to see right so Devin Hester those guys don't really have a role in the NFL anymore one-dimensional gadget guys and guys you throw out on special teams. Uh, the Jets used to have a guy, Justin Miller, same type of player, same type of role, right? But, yeah, so the kickoff, I think, is definitely going to be the one big takeaway that you see the NFL steal from the XFL.
2: Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised there. And, Joe, obviously, you know, the big, the big issue that we saw after the final bankruptcy was that Oliver Luck was suing to get the rest of his contract. Do you think – he will be back as the commissioner or do
1: you think they'll be looking elsewhere i i'm very curious about that because i think oliver wanted this to work and i also there's a scenario in play where if oliver is brought back in you might see andrew brought in too uh, as a quarterback he's not doing anything i don't think he's going to back to the nfl i think he's really really done I think if he would have had the itch to come back, he would have came back as the season went on. Uh, I think he's done. I think Andrew Luck's is going to return better. as a Patriot quarterback at some point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Dan, What do you? F- how do you feel about the uh, the Oliver Luck, Vince McMahon situation? Because we all know that and it got to the point where it was borderline ugly at the very end, Oliver, with obviously Oliver suing Vince and, and all that.
3: Yeah, I mean I thought it was a uh a situation where I don't know I know Nick's wrestling fan, I don't know Joe, but we, we know Vince McMahon has done some shady tactics and I'm not talking about Mr. McMahon on T V. <laughs> Behind the scenes he you know, he he's that guy. I mean, he he's got the top for a reason and, and it's not doing everything, you know, uh with with the grain, you know, so to speak. So um, you know, it seemed like Oliver Luck unfortunately was a fall guy. I thought he was great in his job. Uh, brought a lot of personality to it. Again, you know, that Angela connection, you never know when somebody could get the itch and, you know, put in the favor with dad to get in the game. So um, it was pretty sad to see that that's the way everything kind of unfolded. And that before this rock news, this that was kind of like the lasting image right before it, it shut down due to COVID. So I thought it was kind of disappointing on that end.
2: Yeah. It'll it'll be interesting to see, especially if they're going to keep the same rules because it could be a totally different thing. Rock might have his own ideas, he might bring in one of his buddies from the U to run the show. We'll see how hands-on The Rock is. I, was, I wanted The Miz to be on, on color commentary for, for this season, but I think now we are going to maybe see The Rock on color commentary. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome, Joe?
1: That's very, very possible. I was thinking about this the, yesterday, right? So we know that The Rock does TV now. He's obviously got a hit show with Titan Games on NBC on Mondays. But before that, uh, he was dabbling in Ballers, which was on HBO. Now, great show. And in that show, it is a great show. He was an agent, right? So maybe not entirely the same situation, but we see that The Rock was immersed in, like, the, the world of, of football there. And, and his objective was to work his way from being a former player to an agent to possibly owning a team, owning a league. Now he actually owns a league, right? Like, that's the, the craziest thing ever. So... In this, in this scenario, it's actually art.
2: Bowlers was crazy because every year the team they focused on ended up doing so well. So they, they sign with the Patriots, and then they, they go to the Super Bowl. Then they do the Rams. They're at the Super Bowl. And then they talk about a Patrick Mahomes extension, and he gets his extension. So I don't know. Maybe the Rock is like no Nostradamus, Dan, But, you know, over, overall, I think the Rock is going to be good news for the league, and that's, that was the big wrestling news this week. Until we heard that the Bell twins, Dan, gave birth on back-to-back days. I don't think there'd be any other way than that. What are your What are your thoughts on on the Bell twins and how do you think John Cena feels about what happened? Yeah, I don't know about John Cena, but you know, like
3: you said, of course they had babies on the same like what was it the same day, right, or was it day, day, day apart one
2: day day apart? Yeah,
3: well, yeah. Of course, I mean, of course that was going to happen, but it's just uh, God bless them. I'm happy. That there, you know that now Daniel Bryan has a second kid in his family. Nikki, obviously, her first child. So uh, congratulations to them. Wh- help, hope for nothing but happiness. But I don't know if John Cena is too uh, too upset about this right now. I think he's doing just fine.
2: Yeah, the twenty the twenty twenty Hall of Famers, Nikki and Brie Bella, give birth back to back days, and the the initial thought was Joe that maybe they do this the Hall of Fame inductions at SummerSlam, but that's not going to happen. So it's going to be. An Olympic scenario where it'll just be the next year and there'll be a really large class. So it's gonna be probably like an eight hour Hall of Fame induction ceremony next year at WrestleMania. But SummerSlam, Joe, might be heading to a boat or a beach. That'd be pretty cool. Cause I'm sick of watching things at the performance center.
0: COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership-developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com slash ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash college.
1: Yeah, I think over the course of the last four months or so, they've done whatever within their realm of trying to make the performance center work. I think they've done a solid job. The problem is obviously the product is it's just not the same without fans. We like, I know that, you know, that Dan knows that. Uh, So what I do think about the boat idea is it's interesting and it's intriguing. Now I I'm the UFC guy here between Nick and I and Dana White really, really pushes for the, the Fight Island thing, right? And they were in Abu Dhabi and that was a huge, huge financial success. And it was really, really fresh. A lot of people really liked the way that was put together given everything that was happening in the world, right? So to me, the idea of doing SummerSlam on a beach or a boat that has a different setting to it is very, very intriguing, obviously goes along with the summer theme. The problem is wrestling fans online are going to complain and they're going to compare it to the Chris Jericho crews. They're already doing it now. Right. So obviously within the context of pro wrestling, it's already been done and it's actually been done really, really recently. Right. So it doesn't really feel as fresh. So Dan, I'm going to bring you back into the fold here. So I don't know if you watched AEW, right. But obviously you've probably heard of Chris Jericho. He did a, AEW ran a show. Uh, on a, a cruise, and Jericho had the, the, the fans on the cruise. I, hold on. I, you Is two got to stop Trump?
2: insulting each other. You're both very large wrestling fans. Uh, <laughs> you both, you, you both well, know that. what's going on. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, not, not I, 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 yeah, no, I definitely – big AEW fan. Um, I'm still
3: more NXT than AEW, but I watch pretty much every week. I try and – if I miss something, I'm always saying on top of it, know the Jericho cruise as well. But I, I totally get your point, though, Joe. I mean – you know how wrestling fans are, especially online. They're here to complain about everything. It sucks, honestly, because I always try to see the the best side of it. I know it's kind of hard sometimes, but I always try to stay positive while watching wrestling. I really try and take it as like you know my something that takes my mind off of things. Um, it's just something that that I've always enjoyed from when I was a kid till now. Um, but you know, in terms of this this potential boat or cruise or whatever's going on. Um, we know that fans, especially the internet fans who are the vocal, uh, could be minority. I don't know, but they're definitely the most vocal. They're going to have an issue with it. And at this point, we know, like we were saying before about Vince, you know, he, he hasn't gotten to where he is now by being a great guy, uh, but he's a great businessman. So he won't let something uh, like internet wrestling fans get in the way of something he wants to do, whether it's been done or not. So I, I think if he wants to have something on a cruise, it's going to get done on a cruise. That's for
2: sure. Do it on the Staten Island Ferry. I don't know. But, Joe, the
1: how Statue many – The Island Ferry didn't run today because of the storm. How so... many
2: strings do you think Vince would have to pull to get SummerSlam on Liberty Island
1: where the Statue of Liberty is?
2: Wouldn't that be crazy? Of...
1: But I, I don't think it's necessarily a terrible idea because obviously with tourism down, nobody's going to those locations anyway. I actually do think that it's not a bad idea because if you can find the right location – I think you can have a scenario where you avoid people going to that area, right? And obviously the boat idea makes sense because you're isolated in the middle of the ocean. And
2: so the the, the boat thing might be a little tough because the Jericho cruise and AEW works because it was on a cruise ship. There's a lot of space that could set up. We're talking about Vince is going to have to, you know, get somebody's yacht or something. And I just don't know if it's large enough to hold all those people. Uh, right. I, would, I would think if it's on a boat, it's probably going to be docked when they film this. And then they'll just show like shots of it sailing, like aerial views. Yeah, like, I, I totally agree with that. I think I want to see it on a beach. I think that would be a cool setting. SummerSlam used to always be called the biggest party of the summer. And they used to do those great promos back in the day, Dan, like on the beach. And that was always fun. So what would your preference be between a, a boat or, or a beach? Or do you prefer to just stay in the performance center?
3: Listen, like like you guys said before, the Performance Center, I think they've done as good a job as they could have done, uh, especially with all the circumstances. But I'm definitely ready for a different atmosphere, especially for WWE shows. So um, whether a boat or beach, I think aesthetically the beach would be much cooler. I don't know, you know, if it's a windy day with sand, like those logistics, I guess would have to be worked out. But I guess if I had to pick one or the other, I definitely prefer the beach uh, more so than the boat.
2: Yeah, the only the only issue with the beach Joe is it's hard to do any raw underground matches because they wouldn't everybody would be on <laughs> the same level.
1: Nobody would be able to go underground. So are we gonna transition now and talk about raw underground? Because I have a lot of thoughts about this. Well, but before good, we do that, while,
2: while we're on SummerSlam, thoughts on Dominic Mysterio gonna make his debut taking on Seth Rollins. How do you think this one's gonna play out? And Dan, do you think Dominic Mysterio is going to be in WWE for the long haul and he maybe signed a contract potentially. And if so, does the NXT class or the current people in NXT get annoyed that he surpasses NXT and goes straight to SummerSlam?
3: Now, listen, I know I said this before, so I don't want you guys to get mad at me. But like I said, I am optimistic when it comes to this stuff. I try to be. Obviously, I'll admit when there's the bad stuff but I think I, from I, – I've been a fan of Dominic since Survivor Series when he did the run-in when it was Rey Mysterio That's versus Brock Lesnar. That was Idol. a great match. It was, it was a great match. And when he came in, man, the crowd was going nuts. He had some great – you know, he did the great frog splash. Um, Just he, he fired up really well. And every time he comes out on TV, man, if he's swinging the candlestick or a chair, he's hurting people with that. I I think he's got definitely something. I think Seth Rollins is a great person to put him up against. Because you know Seth Rollins is probably the in my opinion, one of the best overall wrestlers in the world, just in terms of he could do pretty much everything, so I think that's a great opponent. I could totally see Dominic winning, especially because you know these circumstances there's no fans who's really going to you know freak out and boo anyway, except for like we said before, the internet fans. so um, I'm really excited for dominic i don't think i don't I don't know if people get upset about the the NXT thing. Um, I, I feel like he definitely has a place on the main roster. Um, I'm one of those guys who have really been hoping for some some new blood so I I think Vince has
2: been looking for a Rey Mysterio replacement since 2010 so I don't know if there's anybody better than his son to be the Rey Mysterio replacement moving forward because they keep trying with these guys Um, you know a lot of guys have potential but some of them just aren't panning out Del Rio he didn't work out as they anticipated and staying with someone in that in that role and I I wouldn't be surprised if, if Dominic wins because otherwise the whole storyline doesn't make sense. Like there's no like you know, it was very one sided. Seth won everything. And you know, that's that's the, the marquee match there. Uh Joe, you get Orton versus McIntyre, which should be absolutely horrendous, but I think Orton's gonna win. Uh we're gonna we're not gonna see Brock Lesnar, which is a little surprising, but it makes sense because why waste Lesnar not in front of the audience? And then you are going to probably see The Fiend taking on Braun Strowman. And unfortunately, I think The Fiend's going to win. But that's going to be okay as long as Otis ends up out of The Fiend, Joe, and becomes the
1: universal champion. I don't think that's going to happen just yet. I think they're going to hold off on that. Uh, what I will say is I actually do – I have enjoyed the Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt feud, and I think the insertion of Alexa Bliss – is quite possibly one of the best things that they could have ever done, because I do think that there is money in potentially pairing Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss up again, and I do think that both of them could use some character tweaks, and to do it at the same time at this point would be very, very smart. They worked together in the Mixed Max Challenge. They were Arguably one of the more popular teams, along with The Miz and Asuka. and uh, and I remember Sasha Banks and, and Finn Balor were very popular. Those were definitely three of the the, the popular duos when they did it, right? And Mixed Max Challenge, I actually think was a huge success. I remember, I remember watching it on Facebook. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, Otis, yeah. the op, the, Otis the Otis Otis needs to cash in
2: about. at like the first event with people in the audience because he if he cashes in like. The WrestleMania moment with Otis was great, but imagine him kissing Mandy Rose, Dan, in front of eighty to ninety thousand people. How crazy would that have been?
3: You know, this WrestleMania, there were a lot of those, you know, what if they were fancier. You know, like you said, Drew McIntyre, LeBron Strowman win. I mean, I, I I wish there were fans of this WrestleMania there. This was also one in for I, I don't remember how long. Besides, I mean I'll count I don't count Brock because at least he wrestles all the time, but there weren't I don't think any part timers really on this roster at all in terms of like there wasn't um well besides Undertaker of course but like Triple H didn't wrestler they just didn't Goldberg. bring anybody in that was it just well Goldberg yeah you're right too damn I did forget about him but at least he put over Braun uh you know that was good but you know I, I the, the Otis thing now I was a big fan back then I don't know what happened I don't know maybe he caught COVID I don't want to speculate but he was missing for a good while and now him and Mandy, I don't know both he, off TV yeah. Mandy, Sonya, there were a lot of people missing. Liv Morgan, I mean, there was a good chunk of people. But I don't want to say the ship has sailed, but personally for me, and like I said before, I'm an optimist. So I'm going to go the opposite way. I I don't know. I kind of lost the appeal on Otis. I mean, it would be great to him cash in just because those moments are always cool, but I'm not dying for it either, you know?
2: So I think, you know, some of the worst bookings since WrestleMania has been Otis, who has really not done much on TV, Um, then you have the Miz who is really getting hunkered down by Morrison. I mean, he, Miz is going from like last year, big face, taking on Shane McMahon in New Jersey and WrestleMania. And before that, he's carrying the company with the Intercontinental title. Now he's like doing Miz TV with John Morrison, which I think is bad. And the other thing is Elias, I guess he's hurt, but he gets, he gets in a car, he gets hit by a car. The hacker mysteriously disappears. There's no footage of the hacker who ran over (laughs) Elias. We're assuming, we're assuming, Joe, that it was Sheamus, but nobody's followed up on that. There's been no no arrests made. And is Elias going to just come back and randomly see him playing his guitar backstage or is he going to come back and attack his attacker and go on to his big push, which is long overdue? I mean, Elias, they named the company after him, WWE. Walk with Elias. This guy needs to be a world champ. Same with The Miz. And yet, I don't know what's going on with these guys right now.
1: All right. We're going to address this one by one very quickly. Uh, the Miz, I think this is probably a scenario where he's doing more at home. Uh, obviously, he's got two girls now. Filming uh, Miz and uh, Mrs. Season 2. That's right. And my mom watches it, and it's one of the best reality shows she loves. So good. It. She follows both on Instagram. Uh, I just think that's a scenario where The Miz is starting to get to the point of his last. So you think the end is oh, near for The Miz? Very, very. Uh, I, I wouldn't say the end. He's still going to be around WWE for the next couple of years. I think he's going to eventually end up doing what Samoa Joe has done in transition. Oh, without a
2: doubt. Comedy. Well, Samoa Joe, I think, is going to wrestle guy. Adora is going to suit on Raw. But The Miz is going to be the color commentator on Raw or SmackDown. And every big pay-per-view, as soon as he decides he doesn't want to wrestle anymore. I mean,
1: there's no doubt about it. There's nobody better than him. No, at that. no absolutely. And I think with Elias, you're going to see him call one 800 fella when he comes back. I didn't come up with that on my own. That was, that was Frank in our Facebook group. But it's the truth. It's going to be Elias in, uh, against Sheamus once he does return. All right, so those are big storylines. And the other thing that they're holding off on, it looks like, is Bailey versus Sasha, which
2: makes sense because Sasha, she'll be the big face. She needs to have that match in front of people as well. That's going to happen at
1: WrestleMania next year. They're they going to do off, it off that long. Planned.
2: So, Get I guess, back. Dan, do you think we're going to see Sasha all belts?
3: I don't know. It looks like they're they're willing to go the distance with these guys. And you know what? um some weeks i kind of you know i could find bailey and sasha a little over the top but i think as a whole they've been awesome in their role right now i think the subtle storyline uh storytelling that the wwe has been doing over this period of them feuding has been great um you know just like you'll see sasha kind of stare at the belt for like three seconds around bailey's waist or she'll hold when she's standing on the outside she always has the belt holding it you know for, for bailey so i've really been enjoying it um at this point, you know the way they kind of use NXT. They they've mixed uh, WWE and NXT rosters, you know, often and as early as recent as Sasha and Bailey there, um, not too long ago. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they they give her that title just just to add to the story. But um, a WrestleMania moment uh, for both of them, I think, is deserving because they put in a lot of work. Uh, they've done a lot during this quarantine. I mean, now they're basically on every single show. So I think they definitely deserve that moment for them.
2: Certainly, I would think that's a main event level type of match there. And I, think, I don't think, I don't know, Joe, I don't think Becky Lynch is really going to get a good coming back. Maybe she comes back for a match or two, but I'd still love to see Becky versus Charlotte versus Sasha versus Bailey with the title on the line. Wouldn't that be a big match? And don't forget that prior to coronavirus happening, the rumors were that Ronda Rousey was coming back. So she'll maybe be in the mix perhaps next year as well. if if things get back to any sort of normalcy
1: so they failed me in not doing roman reigns versus seth rollins versus dean ambrose at wrestlemania when it was right there for them it was a big match to oh, yeah. me if they don't do the charlotte versus sasha versus becky versus bailey match at some point you will have failed me twice that's how i feel about that <laughs>
2: And what about this whole, oh, we should do, they could do the four horse versus the the knockoff Rousey four horse horse horsewoman match. Is there anything there? I mean, yeah, everybody knows Rousey, but nobody cares about Shayna and nobody can name the other two, the other two ladies in NXT. So I don't really see, unless they're doing some sort of Survivor Series match at some point.
1: Yeah, I feel like that is just a Survivor Series match. Uh, We've been seeing Shayna Baszler more on Raw lately. And uh, I do think that, there's a spot for her. I don't know if she's really, really top girl material, but I do think that she's a very solid wrestler and she's a good heel and she plays her role really, really well. And you know where there's a spot I- for her? Raw Underground, the, the women's position <laughs> That's or a great spot. She
2: could, or she could just take on a male or something. I, I don't know. I, I think, and I know you're a huge fan of Raw Underground with your guy Shane O'Mac. Shane O'Mac, by the way, awesome guy met him, talked to him on the field before the first XFL New York Guardians game. Uh, he was awesome, and he was very involved in the XFL, this, despite what people may have, you know, known on the surface. He was very involved. And hopefully, Joe, we get Shane taking over WWE one day as the guy in charge. But he, he wants the uh, – he brings in Raw Underground. You get Lashley, MVP, and Sean Benjamin, Dolph Ziggler – you have that huge dude, I guess, who's in NXT, who was doing great. Maybe we'll see Tazao, is a really tall ninja in there at some point. But they really didn't explain much. They just said, you know, everything goes down here. And I guess the referee just decides when to stop it. I don't know. I know you're a big fan. So what are your thoughts on Raw Underground?
1: So uh, where do I start? Okay. So I'm going to send this to Dan afterwards because I really, really want to hear what he has to say. Obviously he shares the same positive outlook on stuff that they do like I do. Right. So the first thing is it's different, right? Fans come on like a plane, do something different, right? Now they're doing something different. I'm willing to see how it goes. I think that it's a good concept because you mentioned Sheldon Benjamin. You saw Dolph Ziggler doing it yesterday. I think it's a good place to prolong careers for the veterans and then to bring new guys from the performance center into the fold. So I think that's a good place for them. Uh, I like that it's got a very fight club type of feel to it. And I do think that production value you see sort of a Lucha underground, like a wrestling society X, which was once upon a time on MTV, great type show. of feel to it too. So it's, it's interesting. It's different than WWE usually shoots. And I, this is something that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about, but when it comes to Shane McMahon, and obviously he's your boy, Nick, you know, yes. great guy, taking pictures of you and everything. So once upon a time, this is when the WWF was at its peak popularity in the Attitude Era. Shane McMahon has always had this fascination with mixed martial arts, and he at one point tried to convince his father to buy UFC, and Vince never did it. And now you see this play out 20 years ago, uh, 20 years later, where Vince probably should have listened to his son. So Shane kind of has always had an idea for incorporating mixed martial arts into what WWE does. So I'm thinking that this is more his idea than Vince's idea or anybody else in the company. So I'm willing to see where it goes. I think it's got potential, but it has to be done the right way. Dan, how do you feel about that?
3: You know what? I 100% agree in terms of, you know, that that the three hours is a lot to go through. Um, I have two TVs set up, thank God. So I have some sort of sporting event usually on at the same time. So I'm able to, if something's boring me or not intriguing me, I could kind of shift my attention. So the three hours doesn't bother me as much, but I know that's something that gets people. And I think this different setting, different atmosphere, different rules uh, type of situation, like you said, new faces or People that aren't really doing much on the main roster, they can kind of go there and, you know, have one of these matches or whatever they're going to be there. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. Um, Like you said, it's different. They're trying something new. Everybody wants something new out of WWE. They always say it's the same old stuff. So they're trying something new. They're doing what you want. Give it a chance. That's how I see it. And um, like you said, I've definitely heard that stuff about Shane McMahon, very much into the MMA scene. And that's definitely what it seemed like, a, a fight club type atmosphere. Um, so, so I'm interested and I'm hoping it, it helps in terms of viewership and it helps in terms of getting new faces over, um, like you said, bringing people up in the, from the performance center and kind of getting them some TV exposure. So I have high hopes for it. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know if it's going to be like some of the things that WWE's done, like the wild card rule or, you know, they just did a few weeks ago or, or a couple of months ago where you could go to another show with up to four times. And that kind of came and went. Um, So, you know, there's things that they do that. I'm hoping this is not the same situation. And uh, like you said, I'm just going to kind of go along for the ride and hope for the best and enjoy what they put out there.
2: Yeah, and Joe, I don't know if you saw raw talk, but Dolph Ziggler invited R-Truth to the the Raw Underground, which is pretty funny. (laughs) Will we see Brock Lesnar on Raw Underground? And will we ever see Brock versus Lashley in any sort of shape or matter? And also – where do you think WWE's going with this whole uh, rioter you know, angle where we saw the technical difficulties weren't because of a storm, they were because some people took out a power box and who do you think might be the leader of, of that that group? Is that something we, we see like a cult like thing with Aleister Black or something or is that, you know, was it going to be a, a no name or some veteran we forgot about? Where do you think they're going to go with that? And Or do they even know right now? Is it just going to be, you know, a bunch of guys in masks and they'll just figure it out at some point?
1: That's interesting. So, obviously, there were power and technical difficulties yesterday. Uh, We also saw Montez Ford get poisoned, right? That didn't really have a a conclusion either. And uh, there was one more thing that happened during the course of the show that – oh, the, uh, the Transformer outside or whatever they threw that exploded, right? So, to me, I think it's going to be two options. Uh, there's a group that you forgot about who's already existing on Raw, that being Ricochet, Cedric Alexander, and Mustafa Ali. Uh, Or it's going to be the Undisputed Era, which I hope so, because I'm a fan of them. I know Nick's not really a fan of them. Uh, Dan, how do you feel about that?
3: Well, funny you should say that, because I don't know if you saw uh, WWE Twitter release that that group is calling themselves Retribution, So I don't think it's going to be on the street there. I wish it was. I think they are saving their call-up for fans because they want that bay bay in front of everybody, which will be an awesome moment. Um, But retribution, I don't know. It it kind of seems like it could be people who were fired recently or it could be, I don't know, maybe people that are, you know, just like secondary or not even that type of player on the main roster where kind of just leftovers, like a Mustafa Ali, who's kind of been overlooked maybe a group of people like that. I don't know. I, I thought it was going to be this MVP hurt business stable, but taken to another level in terms of getting a couple of new members and then, you know, something crazy on TV. Cause I, I think they did say something yesterday, like it, they didn't want it to be construed as political, but I don't know. There's a lot of rumors going on yesterday about raw. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I honestly have no idea, especially now that I'm seeing this retribution thing. It seems like it's going to be a completely new faction. I'm guessing. So, I don't really know who's going to be involved with
2: I just really like that R-Truth calls Ricochet Richard Shea. I think he should maybe (laughs) take that persona. Might be really good. It's kind of like when Chavo Guerrero was like Kerwin White or something, and he was like a golf caddy. I think that'd be really funny. But I hope, Joe, it's just a bunch of NXT guys. Maybe there's like a leader. Because I always said, WWE does a really poor job with factions. On the main roster, in the sense that they don't do them enough, because every time they put a big faction together, it seems to work. You got the Shield, Nexus, Evolution. Uh, You know, if you took like a guy like the Miz Joe and said, "Here, you're going to take these three or four NXT guys and be their leader," he's going to get them all over. I mean, he did it with Sandow, he did it with Alex Riley, uh, he did it with Axel and Bo Dallas. So why don't they, you know, try to do those type of things, or is it just that they find themselves having too much difficulty booking those factions for long
1: haul. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I do think over the course of the past couple of months, you're seeing factions come back and every single high point, I think in the history of WWE has always had factions or groups fighting it out with each other, right? It happened in the Attitude Era with the Nation of Domination and DX. Then it was the Corporation. Then it was the Ministry of Darkness then DX came back, right? And then you saw Evolution was popular. Uh, when WWE was at a low point, the Nexus was at that peak of that brief period of time. Uh, we saw that kind of diverge a little bit. You know, they made a couple of groups that revived CM Punk's career, and then he became big. Then The Shield came back, right? So you're 100% right. And uh, I think AJ Styles and the club, they absolutely dropped the ball on them because – of their Japan connections and not really incorporating Finn Balor, it would have been a really good idea to have those guys together and it just never materialized. So uh, I'm always a fan of it. I think they're, they are trying to do it more. Uh, Dan, how do you feel about that too?
3: Yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of um, the, the faction part of things. I I think it's always great to have, you know, new faces mixed together involved on TV. Like you said, Evolution, Nexus, DX, NWL. It's always, it's always fun when there are faction wars going on. Even AEW, you can see there are a lot of factions there. I really enjoy that they do that there as well. So um, I'm hoping this is not like the hacker angle, though, and it's and it's kind of, you know, they, they kind of oh, stick sure. with it because oh, they they drop that like a like a bad habit. Unless maybe it's tied in, I don't know. But, um, but, yeah, as long as they give it time, you know, like we know, as we said a bunch of times already now that we're talking, the fans aren't always going to be happy, especially online, and, and it's going to be voiced. So even last night I was seeing – oh, why didn't they reveal who it was? Uh, me, I'm thinking, what happened to slow burns and, and yep. letting things play out on TV? So um, I, I'm hoping for the best. I could see NXT guys with maybe a WWE wrestler that's a leader kind of like take the charge, but um, definitely love the faction stuff. And I think just it, it's a change of pace. It's something new. So that automatically piques my interest.
2: Yeah. They should just uh, call Belvin team dream and let him lead it and put him with Ryback. I think that'd be great to see, but we appreciate having Dan here. Dan, what we usually do is we give our guests the last word here. So any topic you want, go ahead. The microphone is all yours.
3: Well, I just want to thank you guys for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. I'll always like talking to you. So, um, you know, again, thanks once again, and, uh, hopefully, you know, let me on soon. I love to talk wrestling. love to talk baseball sports in general. So always a pleasure. And, uh, Definitely if you ever want to connect again, i will love to be on.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Dan. For Joe Calabrese and Dan Federico, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know Ah Right.